a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. Are you ready to have a good time? On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Our next guests have a brand new record. I mean, these guys are probably the biggest Kiss fans around, and their music absolutely shows that off. This brand new record, Classic 78, available now wherever you get your music. Buy the CD. Make sure you buy the CD because it sounds best on CD. Eventually, hopefully, we'll get some vinyl. Uh, welcome to the show, Tom Higgins and Charlie Benante from Classic 78. How you doing, boys? Doing great. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Greetings. Bonjour, as we say here in Montreal. So so let's get this started. For for many years, Classic 78's been out there. We've seen the videos. We've heard the music. Kiss fans have been going, dude, this is what Gene and Paul should be releasing. But there's been a little bit of mystery to it. So let us us unmask. I was just going to say, is Classic 78 finally unmasking? <laughs> we are we are definitely unmasking. That's right. So, so we, people are going, well, why is Charlie Benante of Anthrax here? Well, that's unmasking number one. Charlie, talk to me about Classic 78 and why you certainly decide to say, all right, it was me. <laughs> well, I wasn't a part of this from the, uh, from the get-go. True. Uh, uh, Tom and Joe, Joe basically started this, and uh, when I heard the first um, uh, record that they put out, or EP, would you call it, um, yeah. uh, I fell in love with it, and I was going to everybody I could find going, listen to this, listen to this, this is the greatest, and they were like, is this old Kiss demos? And I'm like, no, that's, <laughs> that's what you think it is, but it's not, um, and I just took a liking to it, and I was just blowing them up as much as I could. Um, and then about a year or so ago, we were on tour and Joe came to, a, to a show and he said that their drummer, uh, left the band. And I, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and basically that was it. And then Tom, uh, hit me up and we started talking and he's like, well, I got a, a batch of songs, you know, could I send them to you? And uh, he sent them to me and I loved them and. All I could think about was what I could do to these songs to kissify them even more than they did. Um, and then Tom could take it from here. Yeah, um, basically from the beginning, Charlie was was a, was a, uh, a fan and listening. You know, he, he as a listener, he was into what we were doing. Right. And we would he would check in with Joe and me once in a while with a, a funny text or just sharing. Hey, I talked to so and so about it or whatever. Basically, the Anthrax meet and greets during that time turned into a listening party for classic 78 because every time we had a meet and greet person <laughs> he'd be playing them our EPs on his phone nice exactly. yeah yeah but um so basically my buddy rory who had been my friend for almost four decades uh great drummer um he was the drummer on the first one and the second one but after the second one he wasn't feeling it too much he felt it was kind of more like a session and didn't feel connected to the process and uh we had been oh, doing he took it way too serious then well we were doing bands for 10 years and you know and i was always running them and i was managing them and 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 doing all the legwork all the stuff that nobody likes to do that has to get done just to get the ball down the field so right. you know after 10 years of not being the chief i get it it's fine but um so anyway so um, we, we, we got past that and then we continued to, we did the, uh, Atlanta kiss expo together. We did an appearance there 
And, uh, and then we did a cool video for a song called Standing Tall from the first record. And so we were able to do that and, and you know, and, and, and move on. But um, yeah, in 2019, I was getting the itch. I was writing songs the whole time, but I wasn't sure I was going to wanted to move forward or when. And um, as Joe, as Charlie said, Joe ran into him at a show. I sent Joe, uh, Charlie, a couple songs. He says, yeah, man, I, I want to do I want to do as many songs as you got. And um, that's where it began. That was at the end of 2019. Right. Well, you talk about you got, you know, you're writing songs and you're getting into the whole process. How do you, in fact, go about writing a Kiss song? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, I've been playing, you know, since I was a, a, you know, 13, you know, and I and I've been a Kiss fan the whole time. I was a Kiss fan in, when I was six and 76 and uh, played the crap out of those albums, learned all the songs inside and out. Uh, did the Kiss tribute thing for a few years, you know. It never occurred to me to ever write a Kiss song. I would write songs for myself, um, you know, for other projects, but it never occurred to me. And uh, sometime around 2009, I said, let me give this a whack just as a creative exercise. Right, just have some fun. Yeah, and I, I demoed some things, played it to my my buddies who were also Kiss freaks, and they were like, these are demos. Where did you get these? And I said, actually, it's not. And then I said, hey, you know, maybe we could record some of this stuff and release it just for fun and see how people respond you know mm -hmm. so we ended up doing that um we had to find a paul vocalist because i was covering the gene vocals and the ace vocals mm -hmm. and uh right. we needed to get a good paul i found joe mcginnis online yeah. uh singing covers you know paul stanley covers wow. um and he just sounded so good i reached out to him told him what it was sent him a couple demos he jumped on right away <laughs> and then we started uh proper and that's how that happened up to up to uh, today, you know, and, and uh, with Charlie. And uh, the good thing about having Charlie too, is that, you know, he, he is who he is and he's been doing this, for, you know, for a living and, you know, for real. Um, yeah. He wanted to be, he wanted to do that Peter Chris thing. You know, he didn't come right. in and say, I'm going to Charlie Benante the shit out of this. He said, I'm going to, no. I want to Peter, <laughs> I want to Peter, I want to Peter Chris this, this, yeah, this stuff. That playing just doesn't translate into Well, that. and that's what I, I want to ask you. I mean, you know, Charlie Benante, uh, blast beat king, Blast Peak Innovator. How do you sort of dial it down to be Peter Chris? Like, is it difficult for you? Because you, you've been playing that thrashy stuff for so long. How do you sort of pull that out and go, okay, yeah, I got How do you go from playing really good to playing really bad? <laughs> oh. Oh, no. See, that's I, where you, we differ on that. Yeah. I never I never thought Peter played badly at all. Um, no, he had a lot of swing. Studio records, yeah. Eh, live, phenomenal drummer. But for something, for some reason, I felt his drum, his performances on the records never translated to like what he was actually doing with the arrangement live. Yeah, but that 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 comes down to the producers a, a little bit too, who don't yeah. pull pull enough shit out of you. Yeah, I I I agree with with both right. of you guys. Um, but I will say that what I had to do was uh, channel Peter. Um, and I, I joke a lot about this. I, I, I had Peter channeled with the side of Anton Fig here and there, just kind of thrown in just for <laughs> good measure. You know, especially the Ace song, especially the Smoke and Mirrors song. That's kind of more Anton y than it is Peter. Right. Um, but, you know, for me, going back, just going back to when I was a kid to playing in my room, you know, studying uh, how Peter would play. Peter would do certain things on the drums that uh, some other drummers didn't do. Peter liked to ride on a crash. Peter never played a ride, like really ping it that much. Never. He would just crash it like, like that type of mm -hmm. stuff. And he, his fills were always like, 
maybe sounded simple, but they weren't so simple. If you if you listen to Watching You off of a live, the, one of his best drum performances is, is uh, Watching You. It's just yeah. awesome, you know? So I took a lot of that stuff in, and I just... The song sometimes called for a bit of dress to kill, a bit of rock and roll over, mm-hmm. and just kind of worked it out. And then I would send it to Tom, and I'm like, could you find... Like, it was like... Uh, doing one of those puzzles where you got to find, you know, the, the, the animals or something in, in this crazy picture, you know, and, yeah. um, and we would do that. And it, and, uh, that's, that's how it came about. And the drum tone was something that I talked to Tom about, because if I couldn't capture that Peter Chris snare drum sound, that honky type yeah. of, uh, band, I was like, I can't do it. So really spent a lot of time on, on all of that stuff just to make it sound as, authentic as possible the interesting about peter chris and i always talk about alex van halen in the sense i mean every record he had a very unique drum sound and peter's on all those records every record it completely sounded different so was there one album that you kind of gravitated towards oh i need that room service snare or i you know i need those destroyer toms mm, i think the ones that we decided on was rock and roll over meets love gun mm-hmm. um and that was it so like on a song like Smoke and Mirrors, where I said it was kind of more of an Anton type of thing meets Peter Chris, but then a song like uh, Queen of Hearts right. and and a song like um, Living Fantasy, that is kind of more Paul Stanley solo album, mm-hmm. you know, style. So, you know, we kind of had to pick and choose what we were going to do there. Yeah. Tom, let me just ask you, since you're writing this stuff, at some point, do you want to write sort of a, a classic 87 rather than 78? Do you want to get into that? And and how do you see the songs from the 70s differing in terms of how they were written and the sounds? Yeah, um, I'll answer the, the second one first. I just right. think that the personalities really came through on those first six studio records and certainly yep. the two live records. And I think personality gets overlooked a lot for technical proficiency, you know, right. when there's, when there's a chemistry, whether the personalities connect or not, when there's a musical chemistry where there's a, an actual sound that comes out of it yeah. because of those four pieces or those five pieces, depending on what band you're talking about. I think that's what makes those albums unique. And like you said, uh, uh, Jeremy, you said that sometimes Peter had a different drum sound on each al- album. The, mm-hmm. the drums on Hotter Than Hell sound nothing like the drums on the first record. Oh, yeah, so completely. So, they're, they're like super muddy on Hotter Than Hell right. versus, you know. Right, but his yeah. choices of what he played and how he played it is where his personality lies when you think of Peter's uh, personality as opposed to his his technical, you know, equipment or how stuff was recorded. Yeah. Same thing with Ace. As soon as he as soon as he gets going, you, you know it's Ace, the bass lines. Paul's one of the best rhythm rock players in the history of rock, in my opinion. Keith Richards, you know, Pete Townsend, Malcolm Young, Paul Stanley, in my opinion, excellent rhythm guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um and they just had that thing. So that's what I connected to as a as a kid. And everybody who was older than me was listening to this stuff. And I just absorbed it and absorbed it and absorbed it. And Ace is a big reason why I play guitar. Kiss is a big reason why I play guitar. And my connection is to those is to that sound. I bought the 80s albums. I went to those shows because I was old enough to go by that point. And mm-hmm. uh, I continued on. But uh, I don't think I would ever get into the 80s stuff. Um, I love Creatures, man. 
I, I, I love that album and I like Lick It Up and some of the other stuff they did too. But right. the 70s is, is, is the wheelhouse where I have a connection to it because it's not just about making the sound for everybody out there. It's making the sound as part of my experience of writing the tunes and seeing if I can achieve that swagger and that vibe and that character in a catchy, yeah. solid rock tune. When we talk to other songwriters, we always ask them, I mean, you know, how does the song start for you? Does it start with a riff? I mean, even the tone of the amp could inspire a riff that afternoon and come and you can come out with a song with it. I'm, I mean, trying to replicate those guitar tones. I mean, you listen to a song like Got to Choose. It's a totally different guitar tone from, you know, like a Hotter Than Hell or, you know, it's does, does the tone of the of the guitar like inspire you or... It definitely does, especially with this particular project because the, the guitar tone is a, is, a, is a great approximation of... Rock and Roll Over and Dress to Kill and even Side 4 of Alive 2 without being an exact duplicate of any of them, you know? Yeah. A little tweak or a little EQ or a little bit of, you know, reverb on one takes you to that place and then or takes you to the other place. So right there out of the gate, you pick up the guitar, you get that sound, it kind of evokes a certain attitude. Yeah. The other thing... You want to play cold gin, I mean. <laughs> yes, right. Or sometimes just... Yeah. Uh, Charlie would know this because he he writes the, the music for, for Anthrax as well. You pick up a bass and all of a sudden you came up with a guitar riff because you just right. mm -hmm. you switched instruments, you know? Right. And it's like, oh, sh wow, that's cool. Well, that's kind of like a whatever. I could use that for Classic 78, you know? And that's how that goes for me. That's how that, that's how that goes. Uh, Charlie, let me just ask you this. And we've talked about this on, on, on our interviews. We both went to see Eric Carr on July 25th, 1980, that very first show. Great thing. Um, how do you compare his drumming? Like, as a young kid and as Charlie Benenti of Anthrax, when you hear Eric Carr, how do you sort of compare his drumming to Peter's? And what do you think of, of his drumming? Well, I think we talked about this uh, yep. last time we spoke. Um, right. I was a, a big, very big Eric Carr fan. Uh, I thought... Mm -hmm. Eric wasn't there to replace P uh, Peter. Eric was there to take Kiss to the next, the next chapter of Kiss. Um, yep. If uh, his first of all, his playing on Creatures of the Night is great. His sound on Creatures of the Night is is great. But his playing on the Elder, I thought, was his best playing with Kiss. Really? Um, wow. The song, the Oath. Awesome. That's I mean, a he's great got song. That, fast double kick going through the whole song and um played this huge kit and he was different than peter and i, I mean quite honestly i didn't like some of the stuff like when we toured with kiss in 87 mm -hmm. around that 88 um and they would play the older kiss songs they didn't play them like they once did they played right. them differently and of course with eric being a different drummer it had a different feel uh, it's not that I didn't like it, but it's just that I wasn't used to that. That's not what I grew up with. You know what I mean? Right. So that's why I'm always going to reference Peter Chris. Like that's the guy for those songs, and that's how they're burned into my my memory. You know what I mean? So Eric is a was was a great drummer, and but he played differently than Peter. Yeah, yeah, he was more of a basher. We we love that. Now, in terms of of the future of this project, yeah, well, go ahead. No, 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 I was going to say he was more John Bonham, whereas Peter yeah. was more the old school Gene Krupa, Buddy yeah. Rich type of drummers, whereas uh, Eric came from that John Bonham kind of school. Yeah. And you yeah. can hear it, in, and I love it loud, you know? Very, yeah, so very John fat, Bonham. Fat, fat. Eric bashed, and 
Peter Swang. I mean, swing, swang. Can we swang? Swung, 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 swing, swang, swung. It's so interesting to hear you guys talking about Eric and Peter. Because for me, my my Kiss drummer forever has been Eric Singer. He's he was the first one I saw with Kiss live in two thousand nine. He's always been my favorite drummer. And like hearing Eric perform those songs live now, or when I first saw him in two thousand nine, I then go back and you know rediscover the early Kiss records because of those shows. And it was like I was like, oh, he's not doing the drum fill. He's not doing like that. He's not playing like you know what i mean it's like it's so interesting to hear eric singer do it like take those songs and give a bit more of energy and like life to the arrangement to it in a way if that makes sense my my opinion is that i I saw eric in 91 i think or for the live two i was actually went to that detroit show where they recorded for for live three rather yeah he was insane he played like he played like himself now he's a bit restricted it's a to me to me yeah like you know rock the nation all of a sudden i mean my my favorite eric performance is that parasite from the uh, alive three i mean you see the isolated camera footage of him you know with the bash hair and playing the playing the shit out of it but then you fast forward to rock the nation and it was like a completely different performance yeah i think he's i, I don't know if he's if he is restricted or if he's just pacing himself i'm sure the they told thing. him to tone it down <laughs> But I think he, I think he can, I think he has can swing, and I think he came from the big band stuff from his dad too. Yeah. I just don't think he swings and kiss. I don't know why, but I just, maybe it's the material. Maybe it's the set list. I mean, you can't swing with Heaven's on Fire. Maybe if they played Come On and Love Me, he could swing. I, I don't know. Very, very true. I, saw, I actually saw Paul Stanley swing in uh, Heaven's on Fire <laughs> backstage. Uh, no, um, no, I, I mean from the. <laughs> from the thing from the video yeah uh in terms of bringing this music to the fans we've got you know the release and the cd and it's going to be on on the streaming and stuff or not on the streaming but do we go out and play shows at some point and and charlie does that interest you to join to join tom and get out there and just have some fun i i i don't know We, we we talked a little bit about doing it but the the, the stage set is so enormous and so costly that I don't know how we could do it. You know, we have the we have the levitating drums and yeah, the, and the, the cherry pickers. It's just nice. you know, sixteen trucks. It's just the logistics are just insane. <laughs> the pyro budget <laughs> alone. I mean, the confetti on rock and roll at night. It's, it's it's out of the budget. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a lot to consider, especially these days. You know, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's impossible. No, but who who knows? You know what I mean? I I, I enjoy it for what it is right now, and that to me is the fun aspect of it maybe if we did a show i would be like well i didn't like this but um right who knows you know have any of the guys in the band heard the music uh yeah no, 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 I mean, like, well, in, well, well, you know, well both bands, it? Anthrax or Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Ch- Charlie, why don't you answer the Anthrax question first? Who, who in your band? Uh, Scott loves it, loves it. And he's like, these guys open up for us one day. <laughs> um, yeah, because well, why not? They're old school Kiss fans. So, of course, when they hear it, it brings it transports you back to that time when you're sitting in your room or your living room, just looking at Destroyer and you're it's just a vibe man and that's what this record is it creates such a vibe that um a lot of my friends who heard it they they just laugh because it makes them happy <laughs> yeah well the first time i heard it i went to the i went to one of my gas stations over here my buddy adam works he's a huge kiss fan and i was like dude you got to hear this and he's like whoa what is this he's like what is this like an old demo or something I'm like dude it's classic <laughs> old 78 demo. and he's like dude this is he's like guy from brooklyn he's like dude this shit's out of control like <laughs> come on now <laughs> 
That's great. <laughs> but has so has Gene and Paul like heard any of this stuff and like have they contacted you and said, "Hey, come write for us." <laughs> they, Did you get a cease and desist? <laughs> no, no. That's a yes, no, and a no. Uh, they have Gene and Paul have heard it uh, about a month after we released the very first one, which was in March of 2017. We got a, a Facebook uh, message from somebody in Paul's circle who said, "Hey, listen, I just want to let you guys know I love this thing." But, um, you know, I'm an acquaintance of Paul. And from what I understand, he's sending this to all his friends. You know, he got a kick out of it and he's passing it around, you know. And then I was like, oh, thanks for letting us know. Didn't say anything online or anything because it's not my place to do that. And then uh, and then uh, I guess, according to Joe McGinnis, who is our Paul Stanley in this band, uh, Chris Jericho is his buddy now because they're playing in quarantine. Chris Jericho was doing a podcast interview with Paul at Paul's house. They were right. shooting, shooting the breeze, playing the Kiss Pinball Machine, and when they were done yeah. playing the game, Paul said, "Hey, have you heard this?" And he played him the classic '78 stuff. You know, he he dug how we captured the style and the production value. He 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 dug how he could hear things that were very familiar to him, including his young self. Like he could hear himself in some yeah. of what Joe was doing vocally. Right. He was very uh, very uh, cool about that. And then um, and then uh, Gene's band uh, when Gene was doing those solo dates. Right. With uh, Ryan and stuff. Yes. Uh, they were on uh, they were out in the Midwest and they had like a, a four hour bus ride from one town to the other. So they jump on the bus and they go. And those guys had been turned on to Classic 78 by somebody else. And they played it for Gene on the bus. And then Gene flipped out. And then they they messaged us, say, hey, you don't know who we are, but we're Gene's guys. We just played him your stuff. His jaw dropped. He loves it. You know, wow, that's cool. So we don't have any direct, you know, interaction with them. We leave them alone. It's what we're doing is is total out of celebration and respect for a sound that created that nobody's created since, or or that they don't create anymore because of forty years of evolution. You know, right. Yeah. So we don't we don't harm them. We don't say, hey, uh, hey, we can I send you some CDs and can you say some? Just you know, just leave them alone. And, and so hearing about it that they heard about it organically through the fan base or through other you know right. avenues. It's, it's cool. It's, it's very it's awesome. satisfying. Yeah. 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 I, I, I listen. I think Gene is the type of guy to be like, you know, I think I can sing on one of these songs. Uh, <laughs> I, think I, he, I can I, see the Gene Simmons collab happening. I think I think he can too. And and, when I, and Charlie, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up in a minute. But when I write these songs, I'm, I'm, I'm writing songs for these guys. I'm when I'm writing a tune, yeah. an Ace tune, I'm writing it for Ace. I'm writing the Paul tune for Paul. You know, we're making we're unofficially making a Kiss record without actually being. Yeah. Kiss. That's, it's that's almost like cool. writing a sitcom in a way. Or, it kind you know, of like is. Writing a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, true. That's true. No, when, uh, when Kiss 2.0 takes over, you're, 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 you're hired. Hey, you never know. You yeah. never know. Uh, <laughs> is that happening? I know. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah, most likely. You'll be writing the new Kiss album when the other two guys retire. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why not? Um, are you sort of just sticking with the whole kiss thing or at some point do you want to say, Hey, you know what? Let's make a classic sounding cheap trick record. And, you know, we won't call it classic 78. We'll call it, you know, whatever. Hello Kitty 78. Southern girls. Yeah. Southern girls. Or, or are you just really much, we like this thing. This is like a fun kiss tribute without being an actual tribute. And, or do you want to expand? Yeah, I mean, I have, you know, I write stuff all the time. And, right. you know, I'm, I'm a 70s dude. I was way too young in the 70s to experience any of that. So, you know, the, the you know when I started to play guitar, stuff like that, you know, I, I had missed the boat. 
you know, in terms yeah. of going to see Zeppelin or Cheap Trick or, or Kiss in the 70s or whatever. But, you know, I, I write stuff. My stuff is in that 70s, you know, whether it's the, the, the rough and rough and tumble, the heavy Skinner, you know, right. uh, Zeppelin, the humble pie, you know, uh, bad company, a lot of that type of stuff. Um, early Aerosmith, you know, that type of that type of stuff is where I where I that's my wheelhouse. So I write original stuff that relates to that, but I would never do a, uh, I wouldn't do a cheap trick deal or a Zeppelin deal or, you know, right. this kiss thing is just a unique niche that is very satisfying creatively and people really love it. And, uh, to a point where it's like, wow, you, you don't realize, uh, that sometimes when you surprise yourself and you go, wow, that sounds so convincing that other people yeah. are hearing it. They're not thinking about me. They're thinking about what the music is tone or what the feeling it's giving them there's a real quick question for you guys i mean just to go back to the gear stuff without necessarily revealing all the secrets i mean how are you recreating this stuff i mean like charlie are you going back and sampling like old kiss snares are you recording it live off the floor with a real kit or how how is that working i i mean i've studied a lot of audio stuff throughout the years that i saw how they would mic the kit and um Eddie Kramer did our Among the Living album. So I saw certain things firsthand, how Eddie would do things and just just studied that, that type of stuff. So when it came time to do this, I knew I wasn't going to mic every drum individually. I wanted to get a nice mixture of, of that 70s type of sound and feel. Yeah. And the snare drum, that was, that was the thing that I concentrated on the most, like I, I said earlier. So just getting the right tone and miking it the correct way blending it in the in when you're mixing it, it, it all these things factor into that that kind of lo-fi sound that kiss had around 70 you know around the 70s mm-hmm. um and and that was it basically just went with it i used the drum kit without bottom heads you know uh i didn't use a lot of cymbals I, very rare i just you know had a cowbell um right. uh because that's that's a that's very key in the sound of, of Peter's, you know, drumming and the Kiss songs. Uh, what's the song uh, on this record where I would hit the toms and the cowbell at the same time? Um, okay. Is it Fever? Fever Dream. Fever Dream. Fever Dream. Yeah. Fever Dream. Kiss would do that. They did that a lot on uh, Love Gun, on the album Love Gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, I have to put that. I can't just leave the toms by himself. I have to throw that cowbell underneath. And it, it just totally works. It just wow. sounds so much like like Kiss, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, because it does have a very distinctive sound to it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. What about and as far as amps go? I mean, are you using a fractal to recreate these things? Or you got a real amp and a cabinet? What's, yeah, yeah. What's the deal? Yeah, you know, it's it's I have this I have this beat up crate practice amp, you know? And okay. I just by accident discovered that it had a very similar tone to if I just tweaked a few things it, to, to rock and roll over. Wow. And uh, I discovered that years before I even done decided to do this. But most of the rhythm guitars are that. There is a Kemper that's used on some of the leads. Um, you know, I dial up a like a, a '74 Marshall Super Lead and nice. do some of the leads on that. I use a, a the uh, the amplifier brand name uh, Acoustic. They have a solid state 120 watt head that I use through a Marshall, and it got a lot of nice power and feedback and sustain on some bits on the record but it's all very simple it's not a lot in the chain and it's it's distorted but it's not overdriven to the point where there's no clarity yeah and it's uh, not super saturated either no it's... the bass is all uh, direct 
and uh, with a, a, a P bass and a, a Epiphone Ripper. Yeah. That's what's on the record. And um, everything is digital. You know, meaning we didn't go to tape and then dump something over. So, you know. Um, well, you got the Eddie Kramer tape emulation. Yeah, you, you don't need it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by, by the way, will this part of the interview come with subtitles so the rest of us can understand it? I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, just asking. I could have given you the, the, the quick answer for like, what, what do you guys use? I, I should have said uh, we use. Gibson guitars and Pearl drums because we want the best. There but, you go. Hey, I see? was waiting for it. You wanted the best. You wanted the best. Before we start wrapping up, I just want to ask you, Charlie, um, something outside of this project. At the end of last year, you went to see Genesis. Yes, and I am in my Genesis mode. I've got live CDs. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm to, you just, just quickly everything. Like, uh, yeah, just everything. Everything, and 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 I've been playing Genesis in my in my phone for the last like two months. Um, just and of course, you can't complain that they've sold like 300 million albums. If you ask Genesis, Phil Collins, and Peter Gabriel solo, I mean, what a what a staggering. Um, Right, I mean, it's, it's it's staggering. Just quickly talk to me because you put out a message on Twitter that got picked up, and believe it or not, in all the Genesis news groups, are talking. The drummer of Anthrax loves Phil Collins. He loves. Uh, they just. What did that mean to you to see that show? And you know, how do you sort of rate or or talk about Phil Collins? I mean, he's he's just a monster drummer, and we don't normally yes. think about that. Um, so this was in November. Yeah. And, uh, I talked about it because it was the first time in God, I can't, I couldn't even tell you that I ever actually cried at a show and I'm not kidding about it. And I'm not embarrassed to say it, but, um, some of the songs when they, when they started playing them and, and seeing Phil up there who who is sitting, he wasn't standing. He wasn't behind the drums either. It just got to me. And, there were two songs that it it, it got to me uh, in, and I was like, "Man, this is this is weird for me." Like, because my girlfriend Carla was looking at me, she's like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, no, <laughs> "I'm not." That's the thing; I couldn't control it. It was yeah. like something something happened. It triggered something. And um, in the beginning of the show, when they came walking out, and Phil could barely walk, and then he just sat. And I thought to myself, why are they doing this? Like, wh- why? You know what I mean? Then it kicked in and it started out a little rough, but then by the third song, boom. Yeah, by Land of Confusion, it, you're in. It was like killer. And his son, Nicholas, was playing drums and he played just like his dad. I think that was the other thing that got me too that was very emotional. But mm-hmm. by the time they played the song Carpet Crawlers, Carpet Crawlers, man. I started crying again because it just brought me back. And uh, it's like one of my favorite songs. And it's, of course, Peter Gabriel. It's a Peter Gabriel song with them. And um, I don't know, man. So I'm so happy that I went and I wanted to go again. But, of course, they were gone at this point in, in another yep. state. So um, I wish I wish I had gone the night before. Yeah. yeah. And let me just ask you that because... You know, I see on your social media and over the years, you've posted pictures of you and your daughter, you and your daughter, and you've got that bond. And then you see Phil with his son. That, that's sort of got, I mean, it hits home, right? I mean, the, that bond. That's why. And, yeah. So, so what did you think of Nick? Because a lot of people go, well, he got the job because of his dad. But then he plays and you go, he no. maybe, 
but he's also no, about he the fucking not. talent. <laughs> the dude can so wail. he was. He did a tour with his dad when his dad did a solo yep. tour, the Not Dead Yet song. tour, which I saw and I, and with I've Leland Sklar. That and he was great in that. So uh, the Genesis stuff is a little more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a step up, and and it's a def- it's definitely a step up. And I was so happy that he had uh the the drums the way his dad had the drums they were concert toms it was the sound it was the feel it was the look and he just played the shit out of those songs and you could even see the other guys kind of turning around enjoying it too you know so uh nick collins to me was like great i i hope they continue because i would love to see them again and it was so good because, like, you know, he had the triggers on the toms. All of a sudden, it sounds like Simmons. And, like, it was, like, it's just so <laughs> yeah. good, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and and you know what? Uh, they they are going to do a few more shows in Europe next year because they had some postponed. Mm-hmm. And then that's supposed to be it. If we can, I would love to travel and go see that because it has to be seen one last time. It's just, and you go, well, you're sitting down. It's like, no, doesn't matter. And, Charlie, you said something interesting. You, you, know, you said that... Oh, I sat there. I'm wondering why are they doing this? Well, that's exactly why they're doing it to give you those experiences, and you know, right? But it was the beginning of it that I I I didn't know what to expect, okay? Because right. I had seen footage online when they did some shows in uh, in England, right? And I was kind of skeptical, like, what? Ooh, I don't know how this is going to play out, you know. So mm-hmm. when it first started, I was a little I was a little shaky, and then, like I said, by the third song, it was like bam and everything just kicked in and it was like genesis you know because i saw them in 2007 right great show that was that was great too you see that's what i got i got a whole collection of 2007 shows here but yeah and i'll just say uh, i've seen fans say the same thing why are they doing this and i think it really is just to say goodbye because they don't have to they've got the money there's not it's not like they need to buy another house they've got it all and i think they just wanted to reach out to the fans and say Thank you. We're, we're, you know, it's a celebration of the band and the music. Yeah, and, and people bitching about him sitting. I mean, c- come on. No other band does this. No, they didn't have to do this. Just yeah, Mitch, appreciate honest, the fact that they did. Look, we went to see those shows. Uh, about ninety-five percent of the audience was at the age that they were sitting the whole time too. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. You know, Me and Charlie are at that age where we it's just not have a, to sit. It, it's not a wall of death type of concert. Let's be honest here. Oh, I was in the cr- I was in the crying section. That's where they put me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but listen, I, I, listen, I agree that the last couple of times I've seen Phil on the solo show and stuff, you cry because it's just like you remember what he was like on 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 the No Jacket Required tour and the running around and on the, the whatever the Invisible Touch tour, and you see this guy and you just go, dang. So that was the one. That was the first song that I kind of broke into tears when they did. I know what I like, because um, usually um, back in the day, Phil would do this dance. You know the tambourine. Yeah, with thing. the tambourines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he picked the tambourine up and just kind of did a little bit of it, and I was just like, um, he can't do that, you know. And that yeah. was one of the reasons why kind of hit me hard, you know, and. Yeah, that was, and that song, and like I said, Carpet Crawlers, those two songs just kind of brought Yeah, Car- Carpet Crawlers, as the, sh- as, as the set ender, is such a bitch slap, because it's just like, no, I don't oh, want to go home dude. crying, I want to go oh. home happy, motherfucker. But I'll tell you where, where it gets me is when he stands up and slowly makes his way to the back of the drums just to watch his son. Mm. And it, that's just such a dad moment, and... and 
you know that to get back there, he, he's probably in a lot of pain just trying to get back. And he's just watching his son. And I've seen interviews where he says, I can't turn around to watch him, so I have to go. And that, that whole emotional... Anyway, it's I'm going to cry now. That's cool. <laughs> That's very cool. I mean, if you think about it, what you guys are talking about, I didn't see the show, but here you are, you're not sure what's going to happen. He's, he's, he's bent out of shape because of all his back pain and ailments and whatnot. And you don't know... And now you're saying you, you you can't wait to see it again. You hope they come back. And the music, mm-hmm. without yeah. him doing what he used to be able to do musically, still connected with you and seeing him sing it and watching the band play and his son do the thing. There's a thing going on. It's called music and emotion and connection and nostalgia. And yeah. and, and that's that, missing. That that's missing yes. a lot these days. You know, a lot of shows are so clean and so you just go and there's no emotion. It's just here are the 12 songs and you're, you know. Go ahead, Charlie. There's there's an article that I read uh, two days ago, and it was about um, music in general. That se- more than seventy percent of music that people listen to are is old music, yeah. and it's like twenty something percent is new. And this is something that I've been saying for years that new music is just isn't that good because people don't respect it and people don't take the time enough to create music. What they do is they take what this guy just did and maybe modify it a little bit and uh, they, they look like it and they grow a big beard and all of a sudden they got a band. And it lacks the one thing that you really need is, is a song. So, you know, that's the, and that's going back to the classic 78 stuff is like, those are songs. There's songs on that record that you would probably listen to over and over again and love. Um, and that's why Genesis resonated with me. I mean, uh, just going back to Genesis for one quick second. Is there another band in the history of music that the singer leaves and then the drummer comes in and sings and sounds almost exactly like the guy who left. Yeah. I mean, those yeah. two guys sound so similar and it was like, it didn't even skip a beat and they got better. How the hell does that happen? Yeah. And they got bigger. And then on top of that, you know, Rutherford goes out and has Mike and the mechanics and <laughs> has top 10 hits. And right. Peter Gabriel goes out and has so and has top 10 hits and Phil, well, Phil Collins. I mean, Phil Collins is Tarzan probably bigger than Genesis at, at, at this point. Yeah. And then they still come back all to, it's unbelievable. And you, what's really fun about that is that they didn't co-mingle. You didn't go to a Genesis show and get five Phil Collins songs when it would have been no. easy to throw in the air tonight or any it's it's spectacular no 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 tony banks would not have allowed that <laughs> no but but i mean you think of you think of the police oh, and sting you think of gene and paul solo you, there's just what genesis did is is just unmatched period period they they influence a lot of bands uh, i hear i i always said this i hear i i hear a lot of rush in genesis mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah. Absolutely, and and I'll I'll unabashedly say I'm an '80s Genesis fan. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, I love I love those records. Those are my favorite records. That the, the first of all, the sound quality of those records. If you're an if you're an audiophile Ooh. and you want to EQ your system, you put on certain Genesis records because the the sound is awesome. Yeah, you listen to the production on Invisible Touch. It's just it's quintessential 80s, and it just sounds so well. Gated snares. Come on. Gated snares. But, uh, yeah. Duke. Duke is my favorite album, though, by, by Genesis. 
You know, I used to be Invisible Touch, but the more I'm listening to it, I'm really getting into, uh, and then there were three, and I'm also getting into uh, Abacab, even though people go, oh, you can't like Abacab. It's like, well, I, I kind of do. I love Abacab. <laughs> but Duke, Duke, for me, just has something. Uh, the song Duchess is just killer, you know, and I was so happy they, they pulled that one out. Right. Well, listen, uh, Phantoms, Classic 78, available now. Uh, Tom, where can everybody go and buy this music? You can go to Amazon Worldwide, uh, the iTunes Store, not Apple Music, but the iTunes Store Worldwide, and you can buy the album as a, a digital download. We got we have CDs that are coming in in a, in a week or two. They'll be available for sale in February. We'll announce that. You'll be able to buy them the day it's announced. They won't be a pre-order or anything like that. And we're going to have vinyl uh, on deck for later on in the year uh, once things settle down with the uh, with the industry, you know, because vinyl backs right. up, you know, six to eight months right now. Yeah, but and we it, definitely want to do that. Even if you guys don't tour and stuff, I mean, hey, there's always the Kiss convention and all these places where all the fans kind of conclave together. I mean, that'd be a good little spot to go and sign some CDs, get some, uh, you know, make some cash, gotta, make some cash, get Keith LaRue to dish out to get you guys over there. Come on, <laughs> there'll probably be one or two scenarios where where that'll probably uh, come together for. For everybody but uh yeah. yeah we'll just play that by ear and see what comes all right well phantoms classic 78 available now go pick it up absolutely brilliant new project thanks a lot guys this was awesome great chat we'll see you around thank you guys thank you guys say nice hello to, to everybody in canada i we miss will. my uh i miss my uh friends up in canada you, you will be here soon we will we'll get you to another heavy montreal or whatever soon hopefully yeah, and we'll have a classic '78 listening party backstage. Right. Oh, that would be awesome! In makeup, in full makeup. There you go. <laughs> full regalia. Uh, cheers. Awesome. All right. See Thank you, guys. Night. Now back to the Mitch Lafon and Jeremy White Show. Rock and roll fantasy camp going to be launching some great camps this year, including yeah. the songwriting fantasy camp happening April 7th to 10th with people like Desmond Child and Emily Harris. Also, the first ever women's only rock and roll fantasy camp happening in LA from May 6th to 9th. Those tickets are available now. Visit rockcamp.com. Um, also, geez, fantasy camps with Joe Perry, Jerry Cantrell, the Scorpions during their residency, and a whole lot more. Uh, welcome to the show. Very excited to talk to David Fishoff. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for having me. Yeah, a lot of new, a lot of new creative ideas this year. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what. The first time I ever heard of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, I was in Vegas in 2013 for the Def Leppard Viva Hysteria residency, and right. I saw a billboard. Uh, I think it was like on one of the one of the highways, and I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." And my mom was like, "Oh, you should go check that out." So I went online, and I, I went to the Def Leppard uh, Fantasy Camp. Oh, you so, were there! Wow, wow, I was there. Yeah, so I was there for the three or four days, whatever it was. Uh, Spike days. Spike was my camp counselor. We spent oh, uh, four days with Spike. How was that? Wasn't that amazing? You know, I, that's why I was really excited to talk to you about this because it's like, you know, these fantasy camps, you really do give people the opportunity to hang out with the people that either they grew up loving or are loving or just discovering and getting the chance to hang out with them. You know, I mean, I was 20 when I went to the, yeah, I think I was 20 years old when I went to the fantasy camp. So it's like I just discovered Def Leppard maybe six years, like six years earlier in high school. I learned, you know, through my parents and then my mom and dad were like, well, listen, we grew up with them. So now you're going to go and you're going to get to meet them and hang with them and play with them. And oh, that's amazing that you were there. You know, Spike, too. You know, yeah. Spike's an amazing counselor, you know. He was incredible. Love, I love about Spike is that, you know, you get a guy like Alan White from Yes, who mentors a band for the four days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he'll say, David, give me a band that's uh, really, you know, could play Yes music, progressive, and they're great. Spike right. will say to me, 
No offense, uh, Jeremy. You'll say, give me the worst band. <laughs> give me beginners. Yeah, basically, because we were awful. I tell you what, Betty, our bass player, man, she had the five-string bass just like Sav has in, in right. Def Leppard. She didn't know how to tune. She didn't know the difference from an oboe and an elbow. I'll tell but, you that. But, but he like, but I got to admit, at the end, he turned the group into a great band. Oh, yeah. He, that's what he does. He says, give me the, give me the, any band. You know, I can make them a great yeah. band. And I'll never forget London. We did a camp in London with, I forget what from, from the Rolling Stones. I did it with, with a bunch of people in London, but Roger Dolby and he took a band and the final night they did 50 licks, the hottest licks. Well, I mean, his presentation is just amazing. Well, what a talented guy, you know, and here he is. The, you know, he's on stage with Queen every night yeah. and, you know, he's mentoring you for four days and giving you the most, the greatest knowledge that you can get anywhere. Yeah, it was nuts for him to tell, you know, the stories of what Freddie would say to him, you know, when they're preparing to go on stage. One of my favorite things ever, and I still refer to this, Spike told me, he's like, the greatest rule and the greatest tip that Freddie Mercury ever told me, ever told me was, there's three rules to, there's three rules to rock and roll. Dynamics, dynamics, fucking dynamics. And lower your guitar. <laughs> how many words, how many, how many times did he say the F word that whole weekend? Oh, yeah. He, he was he was like a sailor. It was great. <laughs> oh, like a sailor. Yeah, yeah. He's unbelievable. Yeah. He's amazing. I, you know, they're all, by the way, every rock, whether it's Rudy Sarzo, whether it's Vinnie Apathy, whether it's Lita Ford, these people have just become such amazing mentors over, you know, Tony Franklin, Vinnie Apathy. I mean, they're just, yeah. they've just become so great. At teaching yeah. people and giving them their four days, uh, you know, they they're really they're the, they're what keeps the camp up. Those are those are the legs that keep the camp up. Yes, you need yeah. the Def Leppards, you need the Joe Perry's because they're not going to come. But it's really those counselors that really put the work in and really give you give you the knowledge. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look, Def Leppard was there for the day. We did the jam and the Q and A and all that stuff. But I mean, the other four days, I was there hanging out with Spike and Bruce Kulick in the in the hallway, and just you know, it's it's such a really cool oh, Jeremy, that's story. great. That's just, yeah. and it stays with you, right? Do you play an instrument now? Are you playing now? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm huge and so weird, Mitch and I. I mean, we've had everybody from Def Leppard on the show at this point, and it's like it's kind of weird how ten years ago I went from being the fantasy camp kid to now you know being friends with Phil Collin and texting. It's 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 crazy yeah. how the world comes full circle. You know what? Was, I'll never forget that camp. I, I know we're talking a lot about that camp, but to me, um, <clears throat> Joe, um, Joe Elliott. Yeah. So Joe Elliott, you know, and he's a Mata Hoople fan Huge. and loves Ian Hunter. So I turned to one of the bands and I said, listen, you can do it. That was my band. We did it was your band. Dudes. That was us. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. The oh, so I remember telling the, your band, I said, listen, you don't have to do a Def Leppard song. You should do all the young dudes. Yeah, and with the by Ian Hunter, and I'll never forget. Uh, Joe Elliott walks out of camp. He says, "Man, David, I just went to rock and roll fantasy camp." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we we got up, Mitch, we got up on stage and, you know, we're standing there with Joe and I got my, my guitar and everything. And we're like, so listen, we could either play Animal. We played Animal with Phil yesterday or we can we kind of learned all the young dudes. And Joe was like, yes, guy. And he turned, he turned <laughs> he around to Sam and Vivian and he was like, guys, all the young dudes, we're doing it. We're doing it. That's it. That's it. And, <laughs> you know, it's been amazing awesome. camp because I've seen Roger Daltrey get into a Beatles song. I've seen so many of these artists. You know, to me, my favorite story is is um, when the, the, the drummer from um, Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, oh, God, my mind's going slowly today. Nick, Nick Mason. Nick Mason comes to camp. And I said, come for three hours. Let's jam some Pink Floyd stuff. He stayed for four days. 
And he said to me, man, I never get to jam a monkey song with Mickey Dolenz. I never get to jam a Kiss song. This was fun for me. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, over the 25 years of camp, what you've seen is it's how exciting and how much fun the rockers get out of coming to camp. And, you know, you could tell it, you know, lately in the, the past years, the camps with, you know, Nico McBrain, he came Thursday night. He came, spent Friday with the campers. He kept calling. He missed them. You know, I think what happens is, is they realize what it was like when they first started and they see these musicians and they're musicians. So the price to admission, you know, admission is you got to be a musician to come. Yeah. It's not a meet and greet. So, you know, Jerry Cantrell walks into camp and he sits down and has lunch and I'm looking at him like he's having lunch with the campers because that was him. That was yeah. him. And that's really what makes camp such a great experience. Yeah. I'll never forget having to go home and sit in my hotel and learn the intro solo to all the young dudes because I'm like, fuck, I, I'm playing this in front of Joe. I can't <laughs> screw great. this up. <laughs> and I'm sitting there. Every camp, something new, exciting happens, you know, and we just had a great camp with Dave Mustaine and, you know. He just he was great. And he starts playing the song with everyone. And then he says, no, no, that's not the way it's done. Get out your telephones and let me teach you the way it's done. And let's do the song right. Yeah. And I just, you know, to me, when I see these artists putting out and, and just giving more than, you know, it's not an appearance for them. Yes. To get them to come, you have to pay them. No question. You know, they got managers, they got agents. And mm -hmm. but once they come to camp and they're doing their love and their instrument and they're and, you know, time just goes by and. There's no rush. And I'll tell you, it was amazing with that camp was they were working a residency at the Hard Rock at Def Leppard. Mm -hmm. And my camp was affiliated with MGM. And I'll never forget, they called their late manager, Howard Kaufman. And they said, Howard, I know Hard Rock doesn't want us here, but we're doing rock and roll fantasy camp. They wanted to come. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's nothing as good as when, you know, artists really want to be part of it. So yeah. that's a great experience. I'm glad you, you went through the experience, Jeremy. Let, let me ask you. Coming. Well, that, that's the thing. That, well, that's what I want to know. For for a guy like me who doesn't play an instrument. Like me. Like you. What is the opportunity? Because I can't just come out there and go, yeah, Joe, I can't play anything. So I'm just going to sit here. Do you mind? Like, what what opportunities do so, fans like me have? So the, I do have a package, uh, you know, okay. that you come and watch and, and you can, uh, you know, get in and you can take a couple music lessons. And, you know, I'm not big and pushing that, but I do have that package available. Okay. And, you know, but as a media person, you can come and you can join a band and sing back up. You can you can play. Uh, you know, the, the <laughs> Wait till you hear me sing. You won't be yeah, saying well, that again. <laughs> or, you know, the songwriting camp. I'm, I'm excited about right. the songwriting camp because I want to learn all aspects of songwriting. And there's no one better than Desmond Child to teach it. You know, I agree. during COVID, we were doing Brit. When I said we Brit Lightning, the great guitar player from Vixen, mm -hmm. who's been hosting the camps. We did 160 master classes and 160 where we had Roger Dolch, we had Sticks, we had Marty Fredrickson, you name it, you know, and 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 from all every night. And, you know, right. it, was, it was we were doing these master classes and Alice Cooper. And, you know, we told these artists, come on for an hour. Let's do some Q&A. People will pay and split, you know, your revenue for your band, for your charity, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And these artists stayed on for hours and hours. You know, they said we had nowhere to go. Alice Cooper says, David, keep going. I got nowhere to go. Yeah. But the knowledge that we got. And when I saw Desmond, he did a songwriting class for three nights. And it was unbelievable. You know, the lady gave us her lyrics. He went through word for word of, of her songs. And he did it for about 10 songs. And he turned to the lady and he said, let me see this lyrics. You said, you found love. We found love from Nashville to the Alamo. He says, lady, we lost the Alamo. 
You know, because we, we is not we of the world. It's you. You're so right. And I saw the way he broke down these songs. And I said to him, you have to do this live. And yeah. people to really learn how to, you know, from the masters, whether it's Emmy Lou Harris, whether it's John Hyatt, really learn how to write a song. And you don't need to, you know, play an instrument. You can just learn how to yeah. write a song. So that would be a great camp for you. How do you talk uh, to me about, well, go ahead. Go ahead, Mitch. Well, I was going to talk to me about setting this up initially. When you first came up with this idea years ago, how did you go around convincing people that you should come? I mean, if I'm Tico Torres or Joe Perry or Joe Elliott and I get a call from you, you know, 20 years ago, I go, who is this schmo? Why, why am I bothering? Yeah. But yet here we are. And now it's become the cool place to go. So, so yes, I'm a schmo, um, but, <laughs> but I'm a schmo who put together Ringo's all-star band 30 years ago. Gotcha. So I'm the guy who came up with that idea. So I think that oh, wow. if I hadn't had that opportunity to meet all these rock stars backstage, then um, coming to Ringo's show and, you know, just being around the industry, they, you know, a lot of them did shut me off. I mean, I never forget calling the, the keyboard player from the door. And says, I'm not playing with an amateur. So, yes, they did reject me. Um, right. But it was really Roger Daltrey, who I was a, a friend. And I went over to England. I said, Roger, can I come over and talk to you about rock and roll fantasy camp is oh come on over and i went over there he didn't understand so we're having dinner that night he said i don't understand camp camp what's a camp what's a camp and finally you know after two hours you know he said oh you should do it with the thompson twins and you know i finally said will you do it he said oh you should do the Th the thompson twins the village people so i'm saying what are you talking about well camp in england is campy you know right. it's funny than, uh, than right yeah than the Jewish fantasy camps, uh, the Jewish camps I went to in the Catskill Mountains, you know. Or, uh, so he didn't get what I was talking about. And mm. I said, Roger, I said, if you had the opportunity to jam with, with anyone, give me one person you would love to meet. He says, um, tell me who it is. He says, you introduce me to Levon Helm with a band and I'll come to your camp. <laughs> so I said, you know, Levon's a good friend of mine. And he had just done my first Ringo tour. And I said uh -huh. to him, you know, and I just bur blurted out to him. I said, you know, Ringo has a lot of money. And I mean, not Ringo. I said, Levon Helm, Levon, you know, doesn't have as much money as you think. And he turned to me, whatever you're going to give him, give whatever you're going to give me, give it to him. I want to meet him. And he got it. And he came to do my first camp. And not my first oh. camp, but my third camp in New York. And and then after jamming with these people, he said, what are they performing next? I said, well, they're going to perform two nights from now at the bottom line in Manhattan. He said, I'm going to join them. Well, he had so much fun. And after he did the camp, all the press came out, Fortune Magazine, USA Today. It was just unbelievable, the press that Roger yeah. brought to camp. So then he introduced me to Brian Wilson. And then, you know, from there, I, you know, I met so many different people. So, you know, one person recommends another person. I remember trying to get Nancy Wilson for years and years, mm -hmm. nothing. And then once I got Jerry Cantrell, you know, the day later, I get an email from, uh, you know, Nancy's manager. Nancy wants to do your camp. So, I, you know, I think what's gotcha. happened is, is that I had to do it. And, you know, Slash got me Steven Tyler. And I think that's that's really why it's, you know, but I think I really think for the artists, it's really, as you see in the film, the Rock Camp movie, you mm -hmm. see the feeling that they get, you know, whether it's Sammy Hagar, whether it's, you know, Joe Perry, they also walk away with a feeling. Well, they, they, they seem to love it. And by the way, uh, you know where Roger would really have a good time? Right here on this show. He would love it. <laughs> right. Right. No, but 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 it is that, and you know, I heard a story the other day. I got stop, Mitch. I heard a story the other day that Jerry Cantrell met a you know met, you know announced that he lost a guitar and right. he couldn't find it. And guess who found it? 
my campers. <laughs> you know, a guy he met at rock yeah. camp, found the guitar, he called them out. Um, you know, Elliot Easton turns to a camper and he says to him one day from the car, he says, hey, um, you know, he's a private eye. He says to um, the private eye, says to Elliot, anything I can do for you, you know, you let me know. This was a great experience of four days with you. And Elliot calls him up two days later. He says, now I'm going through a divorce. And, you know, if you, um, I'm trying to locate the, my first girlfriend, but if she's married, I don't want to talk to her. And uh, the private eye says, give me the details. The guy calls up the parents and he says, hi, I'm calling on behalf of Elliot. He's looking to locate your daughter. And if she's married, he doesn't want to talk to her, but he's single now. And the lady said, oh, we love Elliot. We remember Elliot here in Brooklyn. <laughs> and uh, we used to remember his band, The Cars. And, and yes, give him our daughter's number. She's totally single. She lives in California. And she lived a mile away from him. Oh, he wow. Up. Two days later, they're married. So Really? These campers, in the end, they are amazing. So many of the rock stars have really become best friends, whether it's Steven Tyler flying off on a guy's private plane or They've yeah. met such great people because, you know, again, you're in a situation where you're not running backstage. It's a quick meet and greet. You, you know, you're hanging out with these yeah. people. Right. And on top of it, I mean, here's something I, I always been curious about. I mean, you know, in the fandoms, you've got some creeps and, you know, you've got some real dangers to the artist. I mean, how do you protect them? And like, you know, somebody has money, they can just join this thing. But you don't know if they have like a like a like a restraining order or something on one of these guys. So, you know, only a couple of artists have said to me, you know, <laughs> we, we have some issue with certain fans. Don't let them in. But, mm -hmm. you know, majority, 99.9999% are fans that are yeah. musicians, that are business people, that are lawyers, they or they're teachers, or they grew up, they wanted to be a musician. And right. then life hit them at 21. They have to either find a regular job. Someone got pregnant. They got married they to get a regular job and they yeah. lost that dream. So they've been sitting with that dream. But my favorite was Joe Perry. <laughs> he said to a camper at the last camp, he says, what do you want? You know, a guy asked him a question. So what do you do for a living? He says, you know, I'm a doctor. And he says, oh, you're a doctor. Yeah. He says, on the weekends, I play with my band guitar. And he turned to the guy and says, you know, you're full of shit. You're a guitarist first. You do that medical crap to pay for your guitars. And the guy right. left. Yeah, 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 that's me. That's me. Yeah, so, that's literally you know, me. I'm a, I do the radio show to pay for all my guitar shit. I mean, right. So that, that's that's really what it's about. You know, yeah. so anybody coming to camp is used, is not a jerk. I haven't had any problems in 25 years doing this. Um, they've all been really great, great people. How do you decide on the lineup of these uh, camps? Because, I mean, you know, for one example, I mean, you got Joe Perry, then you got Tico Torres and you got Vernon Reed. How do you decide that those are the three guys you're going to get for the camp? Well, I try to find a great drummer and, you know, I never mm -hmm. had Tico before. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, since the success of the movie, you know, artists have seen it with, with the Melissa Etheridge. You know, she saw the film and she said, yeah, I want to do rock and roll fantasy camp. So many have seen the film now that that it's really inspired them to join us. And, right. you know, I love Joe Perry's just amazing. How giving is a camp. And uh, I was just telling Britt this morning, I said, you know, we have to start him at four o'clock in the afternoon because he's a late, late guy. And and he, mm -hmm. but you just see how inspirational he is to the people. Um, and, and you try to put the, you know, you based on the availability of that camp, since we're doing it in Florida, I wanted to ensure myself that I wouldn't have any flight issues. So I basically took, uh, you know, those two live in Florida and, and then, uh, um, you know, so, you know, again, I, I just create the lineup, see who's available at the same time and, and then we make it happen. Yeah. Scorpions, for example, Scorpions are going to be in Vegas. So right, I was right. able to tie them at that time and, and then add Zach to the package and, and Sebastian, you know, thinking of moving to Vegas. I'm not sure yet if he did it yet, but he's mm -hmm. always so much fun to be a camp. Yeah. yeah.
that's that's so incredible. And in terms of branching out, do you think of doing something outside, like like a baseball fantasy camp or some kind of sports camp, or or do you just want to sort of stick to rock and roll because that's what you know and that's what you like? Well, Mitch, that's a great question because you know I started doing sports. I did baseball camps. Lou Pinella, uh, the, the former manager of the Reds, manager. The Yankees, was my first client in sports, and we wow. did baseball camps, um, and it was fun, um, but. You know, when I thought of doing rock and roll fantasy game, it's not the same because unlike the the athlete who's 37, 38, 40, and can't eat, he hardly can hit the, hit the ball over the fence anymore. Barely These skate. rock stars are still selling out arenas. I mean, look at the who they're playing the the, the uh, New Orleans Jazz Festival. I mean, the people that we get are still selling out arenas, venues. Um, so they're current. And the, and the difference is you can be a musician at 80, 90, as you can see with the, the Rolling Stones out there touring and Ringo's going to tour and McCartney will tour. Whereas you can't be a ball player, um, but you can, you can always write a song. You can play in a tribute band. Um, but I am going to move it to, I'm looking to comedy fantasy camps. I think opening this year, operating sports, uh, maybe wow. operating songwriting, that I'm really excited about. Women's Only is doing great. Mother's Day weekend. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really into sports as much as I was years ago. But now it's more about, you know, I, I will try country. Um, oh, wow. And, yeah, I was going to say, like, fun. would you do yeah, like a country or a, like, a, like a pop fantasy camp? You know, get like yeah, Dua Lipa or Lady Gaga? Yeah, yeah uh, definitely. You know, those artists, that, and it really depends on the artist. But yeah, I want to open it up. And that, that, that's really the, my goal. Do you look at, at some of the younger bands and start thinking, maybe I got to start tapping into that younger fan base? I mean, we know with disposable income and the whole, but do you look at sort of a Black Veil Brides or some of those and go, you know what? I got to start bringing some of these in if oh, I want to keep know, this Greta going. Van, you know, Greta Van, Greta Van Fleet. Fleet. And, you know, some of those bands I'm going to start looking into. Dirty Honey. Yeah, Dirty Honey. I think what's happened now is with this COVID, once this thing gets over, I'll be able to start, you know, really pushing more camps. I also want to do like a, a Led Zeppelin camp with some great musicians who play Led Zeppelin. Um, I did a Beatles camp last year, a uh, year and a half ago, really, where we did the Sgt. Pepper album with, um, we, I did it with uh, Cheap Trick. It was unbelievable. I had campers yeah. doing that whole album and Tony Franklin wrote the chart. So we had an, a symphony orchestra uh, or parts of us, an orchestra uh, playing at the whiskey, um, tubas and, violins and it was just amazing wow so you know i'm always looking to create new musical things and that's what makes the job exciting you know mm -hmm. every morning i wake up with another idea another crazy idea <laughs> and i said i'm going to do this and uh, you know I was, I was joking the other day at camp because um you know i, I called brit in the mornings and i said okay let's what are we going to do we get on zoom and she's so um, motivating to me. And I told her, hey, I'm going to do a Polish polka camp. Oh, that's great. That's great. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm always looking to do some fun stuff. And truthfully, you know, when we did those 160 classes, um, the one common denominator that we had with every rock star was passion. And right. as long as I have the passion to keep doing this, and to me, it's about changing lives. You know, I, I really love that part where you get yeah. an email. Thank you, David. And, you know, how amazing my life changed from that experience or I'm, I'm now have a band and I'm writing music. And, you know, to me, that's really what I love the most about it. Is, yeah, is there a genre of music that does better for you? I mean, do, do more people want to come see sort of classic rock and roll or can you do a whole prog Genesee Genesis kind of thing? Like, is there a difference? You know, there are certain ones, you know, classic rock, Aerosmith, The Who, 
The classic rock guys do great. Hey, yeah. I tried blues. You know, I'll go back to doing a blues. Um, metal, you know, metals are great. You know, as long as I keep the genres together, um, they, they all do well. You know, listen, it's not a type of business like Coachella or when I was, you know, promoting R Ringo Starr and I, I could play, go from a bigger venue, to the next bigger venue. I did the Monkees and I was able to go from a, a 3,000 seater to a 15,000 seater once the business came. Here you can't do it. You can only put one bass player in a band. You can right, only right. put a couple guitar players in a band. So, and you're only limited to like 12, 13 bands because, you know, these rockers, here's what happens. They come to camp and you tell them to spend 10, 15 minutes with the band. The problem is they end up spending an hour because they enjoy it. So Slash told me, he said, I, I, he said, I never worked so hard in my entire life. Well, you spend, you jam with 14 bands for an hour. Of course, 14 hours later, you're going to be tired. Yeah. Um, but they loved it, you know, so uh, I'm, I'm limited. So, you know, it, it's, um, I tr I'm trying to do it, keep going, um, keep it alive. And thank God everyone's been supporting it. So it's it's been fun. Who's on the dream list to get for the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp? You know, I answer that question all the time. Naturally, McCartney is my favorite. Um, the Stones, you know, to have Mick and Keith, you know, do a parody on, on me on, on, on The Simpsons was really a dream. You know, that was <laughs> unbelievable. That, that really, that helped our business a lot when they did that Simpsons episode. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, uh, you know, I'm reading Led Zeppelin book now and, you know, to, to, yeah, I would do anything to have, you know, any of the guys from Zeppelin that are alive. Um, but, yeah. you know, but, you know, Jimmy Page, I mean, come on. I, you know, I once went to Eric Clapton. I met him in a coffee shop and I said, Eric, when are you going to do Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp? I had um, I had Ginger Baker. I had Jack Bruce. And I'll never forget. I was on tour with Ringo. We're up in Denver, Colorado, playing Red Rocks. And um, Jack Bruce um, brought along Ginger Baker, came out to visit. And we brought him on for the last song. And Ringo, Ringo turns to the audience and says, tonight, we have 2% cream. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to get, uh, I've always wanted to get Eric Clapton. Um, and I tell you, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to offer him so much money because I bet these people would write a check to his charity. And he can make a lot more money doing my camp than he can doing a big festival where he has all those expenses. But, yeah. you know, I, I say never, never is never. You never know who's going to come. But, oh, Eric Clapton to jam with him or or Jimmy Page. I mean, Jeff Beck was just incredible. Now, the problem you have when you get a Jeff Beck, you know, you would think, oh, David is probably sold out. No, I got killed because people were scared to play with him. So the uh -huh. week before camp, oh, I can't come. I, I can't. I'm not going to play with Jeff Beck. Yeah, I want to sign up. But now I had one guy who was the president of Disney. He showed up. He didn't want to come. The week before he, he wants to cancel. And I said, you can't cancel. What a dream it is. Yeah. And he said to me, David, it was the greatest experience of his life. Because, you know, the bottom line is if you play with people that are better than you, you're going to get better. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's like any industry. Any industry, right. Surround yourself with the best. You can only elevate your game. Totally, totally. And that's really what it's about. Yeah. Well, listen, some incredible camps upcoming. The next one is going to be happening in L.A. with Jerry Cantrell, Kim Thale, of course, the original drummer from Pearl Jam, February 17th and 20th. The President's Sounds of Seattle. Weekend, don't miss it. That's, by the way, those do great. You know, that that area, you know, that's that's the next generation of music and, and uh, you know, below the, the, the classic rock. So that's exciting to have that camp. Yeah, and of course, the women's only rock camp happening in L.A. May in May. You got the songwriting camp with Desmond Child in April. Joe Perry and Tico Torres, Vernon Reed in March. I mean, it's Scorpions. You, you're all over the place. It's, it's really exciting. Non yeah, just head over to rockcamp.com because it's all there. 
Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Fantastic. And, and check out the movie. I mean, I bet you saw the yeah. movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was great, great right? Stuff. Of course it's great. I never got to see me in it, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you know, it, it was, I'll tell you, it took five years to make, but I give the, I give the director, you know, it was hard to make because, you know, like Rock Camp is so, people love it so much. It was, it was becoming like a an infomercial and, and they really turned it into a documentary to really show it. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm really proud of the film. You need to do a, a Van Halen camp with David Lee Roth, Sammy Hagar, and Gary Sharon. Oh, you think get them all in one room? <laughs> if, I, Rock, I, I, if anybody could do it, I bet Rock Camp could do it. <laughs> yeah, Sammy, Sammy's great. I mean, you know, he's great in the film. I thought Sammy was so honest in the film. And, and you know, he talks about how hard he, it, it, you know, it's, it's hard work to do camp. You know, it's not, <laughs> uh, it's one thing to get up there and do a show, show uh, set for two hours and you know what you're going to do. This is, this stuff, it's hard, but it's good hard. Yeah. yeah, but just That's imagine Michael Anthony, Gary Sharon, and Sammy on the yeah. on the Van Halen camp weekend. We'll do that. We'll figure that. Let's let me get this Led Zeppelin. If you have any ideas who plays Led Zeppelin, you know, great. I mean, that would be that would be fun. Like oh, Eric, Jason Bonham's experience, it can't really beat it. Yeah, Jason Bonham, he's done camp already, but I think that would be a cool camp. Led Zeppelin, who would be good in Led Zeppelin camp? There's a lot of well, yeah, the guys from Train. The guys from Train. They did an album. Yeah, yeah, Pat um, Monahan can sing Robert better than Robert yeah, these days. Exactly. You know? <laughs> maybe get uh, maybe you pull in Frank Marino for that one. Yeah, yeah, he'd be good. Yeah, and I'm saying we're gonna find some great musicians. That'd be fun. Four days of just jamming Zeppelin songs. That'd be unbelievable. Hey, Carmine, Carmine Apice, you know, he yeah. still can he can play, and you know, he knows that stuff really well, having toured with him. For the um, is it weird with the COVID stuff? Like having to like, are the artists like uh, apprehend like kind of like you know, like Jeremy? Yeah. It, it's it's like the worst thing in the world. You know, yeah. it's so unfair because, yeah, it's been really difficult and um, it's been really hard for anyone live music and very difficult. Yeah. Um. So the way I've had to deal with it is, I wanted to be make people feel safe and make them feel safe in the way because it's not just a meet and greet. You know, no, you're going to be around the shoulder with Joe Perry. What? I said, no, you're shoulder to shoulder with Joe Perry. I mean, Joe Perry. So I've asked everyone, you have to become vaccinated to come to camp. You have to take a PCR test. I have to know we're going to take your temperature every day. You know, I have to keep the artists safe. And, you know, I moved the women's camp, but really the only one I really moved was because, you know, Nancy, you know, felt that she said, I want to be able to give these people that rock and roll fantasy camp experience. And with, and with Omicron, you know, next few weeks, hopefully it's going away. Um, so we moved it to Mother's Day, which I think is great. Mother's Day weekend, a women's rock camp. Send your mother. Yeah. Come on, Jeremy, send your mother to rock camp. Hey, you know what? She would love it. I bet you. <laughs> she doesn't play anything, but she'd love to watch me play with them. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, it's the women's both, only. Both are, are dudes allowed to go to the women's only? Okay, camp? so that's a good. No, see what I did. I came up with a man cave package because I was afraid to get sued. Oh yeah, so, there you go, Rudy Sarzo. <laughs> Rudy Sarzo, he you know he confirmed today he's going to jam with men. Yeah, we have a separate man. They're going to be a totally different place. We've got a bunch of signups, a different studio, uh, and we're going to do a man cave package where they're going to get the jam, and and I'm going to have a lot of my counselors there, and nice. they're not nice. keeping the women totally separate. That's That'd great. Cool. That'd be cool. All right, well, rockcamp.com. Dave, you're going to have to set us up with some of these artists to uh, do some interviews, promote this stuff. This is, well, you know, man. we have the best, you know, my, my publicists are the best, you know. Yeah, I know. Michelle's great. So, uh, yeah, Michelle's we'll definitely great. do that. And I'm going to have to come back to another one of these rock camps because you must. I, I loved it, honestly. Yeah, it stays with you. Yeah, it's no, it really does. I, I tell Mitch about it all the time. I'm like, you know, when I went to rock camp, uh, <laughs> Phil, yeah. I got I got to close with this story. A guy comes to camp and after three years, he writes me, I'm coming back. 
So I called him up. I said, what made you come back? He says, David, ever since I left camp, I've been in therapy. And I tell my therapist everything. Oh, rock and roll fantasy. After three years of him taking my money, he finally says to me, why don't you go back to rock and roll fantasy game? <laughs> and he came. <laughs> you know, the therapy is the best therapy. Listen, we take people to such a high. I mean, you really go for four days of high. And there was a lady who didn't make the film, but we interviewed her. And because it was just so many, you could, you could, everyone's got a story. Yeah. So I, we interview her, and, and another thing that they asked her, so when you left Rock and Roll Fancy Camp, did you go home and get depressed? And she said, no. She said, I swore I was never going to write another brief again. I quit my law firm, and I said, I'm going to learn to be as authentic as these rock stars, and I want to be a writer. And she wrote a book uh, called Rocking the Pink, where she tells the story of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And then she said, I, I wanted to become a writer. So she changed her name to Lauren Rowe. She's written 14 books, 14 books that are number one on Amazon. It's amazing. Wow. Just amazing. Yeah. So, you know, we, we change lives. We change lives. So you guys got to come. Absolutely. I've been wanting yeah. to go for the last 20 years. Well, come on, man. Just, you, you know what? Man cow. He just loves to hang with me. He calls me up. He says, can I, can I come with you and just hang with me? I said, you could come and you can follow me. So I've had yeah. some great, great people come. So you be my guest. Come to camp. Yeah, follow let's me. do it. Let's right. do it. Okay. And I love the idea and I love the genesis of it. Years ago when I first heard about it, I was like, wow, that's actually kind of a smart, that's a smart thing. And yeah. look how big it became. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It's a cultural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. Well, guys, I loved it. And thanks for having me on. All thank right, you. Well, we'll keep in touch and uh, chat again. soon. Okay, all the best. All right, bye -bye. see you later. Bye. An all-new episode of the Mitchell Fun and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch LaFon and at Jeremy White MTL.